Very good morning to you. Three minutes after 8 o'clock. This is Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis reporting. Well, the GM chief goes head to toe with the U.S. Congress. The S&P 500 sets a new all-time high. And mainland media report a new high-yield default on an interest payment. Those stories and other leading business news coming up in a moment. First, we set the tone of today's program. Today's GM will do the right thing. That begins with my sincere apologies to everyone who has been affected by this recall, especially the families and friends who lost their lives or were injured. I am deeply sorry. So in our featured segments, we'll be taking a look at the GM inquiry. We also look at the latest readings of China's manufacturing activity with Steve Wong at the Reorient Group. We'll do a preview of the Bank of Japan's inflation outlook today and review the Tankan Business Survey. Marcel Tillion from Capital Economics will be along for that. And Stuart Aldcroft, Senior Advisor at City Investor Service, will share some thoughts on investing in the second quarter. All right, we'll take a look at some of these numbers here in Asia, including the greenback. The dollar now trading at 103.64 yen. That's the dollar stronger, the yen weaker. And so we see a lot of risk on in the markets today. The Nikkei is up 104 points at 14,896. And looking at the uh, euro, it's trading at 1.379 U.S. dollars. The Australian dollar, 92.39 U.S. cents. Uh, the yen at 6.15 U.S. dollars. And the pound is trading at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 89 cents. I mentioned all the equity markets up in the region at the moment. Just some slight gains in Australia and in Seoul. All right, let's get to our top story this morning. GM Chief Mary Barra apologizing for the slew of defects in GM cars. She promised a full investigation. She was calm and contrite in front of the U.S. Congress. Before we get to Ms. Barra, and she had some very interesting testimony, uh, let's take a look at how the chairman opened up the proceedings. Now, this is a little bit long, but he walks you through the developments in this story. As soon as the Chevy Cobalt rolled off the production line in 2004, customers began filing complaints about the ignition switch. These customers told General Motors that just by bumping the key with their knee while driving the Cobalt, it would shut off. In 2004 and 2005, GM engineers twice considered the problem and even developed potential solutions to fix it. But GM decided the, quote, tooling cost and piece prices are too high, unquote, and that the, quote, none of the solutions represent an acceptable business case, end quote. The solution GM ultimately settled for was to tell their dealers to ask Cobalt drivers to remove heavy objects from their keychains. And yet, just a year later, GM decided to fix the ignition switch. In 2005, GM told their supplier, Delphi, to increase the torque in the ignition switch so the key wouldn't move out of the run position and into accessory mode. So he goes on to detail an inquiry by the nation's highway safety agency. GM was not alone in examining problems with the cobalt. The lead government safety regulator, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, known as NHTSA, was also evaluating concerns with the cobalt. But NHTSA didn't look at the ignition switch problem, just airbag non-deployment. In 2007, three years after the cobalt's release, the chief of NHTSA's defects assessment division proposed that the agency investigate the cobalt because he spotted a, quote, pattern of non-deployments, unquote, 
in cobalt airbags that didn't exist with similar sedans. An internal NHTSA presentation noted a spike in warranty claims for cobalt airbags. A total of 29 crashes causing 25 injuries, 4 deaths, and 14 field reports. Yet NHTSA ultimately decided not to investigate, even when the issue was again raised three years later in 2010. NHTSA again passed on investigating. GM was also looking into the airbag non-deployments. As early as 2007, GM started tracking incidents where cobalt airbags did not deploy in car crashes. In 2011 and 2012, GM assigned at least two groups of engineers to examine the problem. According to GM's public statements, it wasn't until December 2013 that the company finally put the pieces together and linked the problems with the airbags with the faulty ignition switch. Almost 10 years after customers first told GM the cobalt ignition switch didn't work. So that set the stage for Ms. Barra's opening statement. She admitted that she was at a loss to explain why GM took so long to come to grips with the defects. More than a decade ago, GM embarked on a small car program. Sitting here today, I cannot tell you why it took so long for a safety defect to be announced for this program. But I can tell you we will find out. This is an extraordinary situation. It involves vehicles we no longer make, but it came to light on my watch, so I'm responsible for resolving it. And she promised full accountability. When we have answers, we will be fully transparent with you, with our regulators, and with our customers. While I cannot turn back the clock, as soon as I learned about the problem, we acted without hesitation. We told the world we had a problem that needed to be fixed. We did so because whatever mistakes were made in the past, we will not shirk from our responsibilities now or in the future. So there have been millions of recalls. There have been dozens of crashes and more than a handful of deaths in this. The final numbers won't actually be known until the plaintiff's lawyers are done doing their grim work of tallying claimants. GM has hired attorney Kenneth Feinberg to look at ways to compensate victims. So another big story this morning on Wall Street stocks rose with the S&P 500 hitting an all-time high. An increase in manufacturing lifted optimism in the economy, particularly after the bad weather period. The S&P 500 gained 0.7% to 1885. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 74 points to 16,532. And the Nasdaq was up 1.6%, a third day of gains. Facebook, Tesla and Netflix all jumped about 4%. That might indicate, analysts say, that the sharp correction in the high flyers is over. Meanwhile, in the bond market, the yield on the 10-year Treasury was up three ticks to 2.75%. So let's say good morning now to Stuart Aldcroft, Senior Advisor at City Investor Services. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Brian. So it's a much better mood, it seems, this week uh, than last week. Uh, what's your overall approach at the moment? Well, the, the market's been doing particularly well. I think, um, you know, I think we all should be quite satisfied that there have been gains made in the, uh, in the developed markets, North America, Europe, uh, even Japan. Well, not really. I mean, let's, well, let's hold on a minute. The first quarter was a flat quarter for the major markets, and it was yeah, down down 9% up, for the Nikkei. Yeah, we're coming up to the point, though, that uh, in, in these markets, um, how much more is there to be had for the rest of the year? You're particularly interested in the next quarter. And I think there is still some more to be had. 
And and that's really the more, more important issue. In, yeah, in a way. It, it is a good point uh, in, in the sense that uh, the quarter started off pretty weak. But just here in the past, uh, you know, days and uh, maybe a week or so, we've uh, we've started to see, you know, I think particularly since Janet Yellen spoke, uh, we've seen some some gains. So this quarter to you looks better? This quarter looks good. It doesn't look great, but it looks good. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, how much more can the U.S. go from an already high, uh, high level? It's at its peak all-time peak on the S&P. Uh, yes, there's probably a little bit more to be had out of that, but I, I'm not going to be looking for 10%, 15% out of the S&P at this point. I think that, that would probably be a bit too much. I think you could get to see something like that out of places like Japan, probably even out of Hong Kong, if China does all right. And China doesn't look so bad either at the moment. But the Tenkan survey in Japan yesterday was a little disappointing. Uh, it missed on the um, on the main reading, and it missed by quite a bit on the outlook. Sure, but companies are doing quite well in Japan, and that's where, uh, if you're investing into stocks, you have to be looking at what the companies are doing. The companies are making better profits, and, and that's getting back into their share price. So you'd be one who thinks that Abenomics is working, and it isn't failing here. Um, I don't think it's failing. It's not working as well as maybe um, Abe wanted it to work, but then it takes time for these things to filter through into the market. One of the things that we've seen in the past couple of days, uh, Macau stocks uh, were quite hot yesterday here in Hong Kong and overnight after strong numbers came out yesterday. Um, Is that too speculative for you or do you like Macau? I have absolutely no idea at all about anything to do with Macau stocks. Um, the only thing I know about Macau stocks is that there's more betting going on at uh, Kotai Strip than there is in any stock market there. Yeah, well, the uh, casino revenue mm. uh, reached a, a record in February and was up uh, more than 13% mm. in March. And so this kind of fired up because, you know, the high flyers uh, right across the board in both the United States and here in Hong Kong had been hit pretty hard of late. Uh, stocks like um, like Tencent were down 20%, uh, some Galaxy and Melco Crown and some of these Macau gaming stocks have been shorted quite aggressively. So they had all fallen uh, pretty significantly. Last couple of days, they've picked up. Uh, do you get that specific or, do you, or, do you, or would you do more index investing? Um, I'm not necessarily keen on index investing, particularly in Asia, particularly for Hong Kong, and in China too, simply because the majority stocks that represent the index are not necessarily the best performers any longer. And and therefore, if you're looking at individual stocks particularly, then the medium or smaller cap area is a far more attractive proposition. Now, some of these names that you've mentioned are probably going to be in the big stock level, but they have produced some um, quite decent returns, as you say, the last few days as a result of a change of sentiment. But after they've been shorted for quite a period time. That's what you would expect. Now, I've got Steve Wong coming up from the Reorient Group to talk uh, about China a lot. But I I, I thought I'd ask you briefly about this latest default. Uh, There's this Chinese building materials company that uh, failed to make an interest payment on high yield bonds. This according, uh, we should say this is um, according to the 21st Century Business Herald. So it's not confirmed yet. But here's what the report said, that Suzhou Zhongshan Tonghao New Board, that particular uh, 
company or, or fund. It's based in Jiangsu province, and it missed a 10% coupon that was due on March 28th. This was on a 180 million yuan worth of notes that were sold last year in a private uh, placement. Now, it would be the second, the first default in the uh, private placement market but uh, for high-yield bonds, but the second default in the onshore bond market or note market. Does that make you nervous? Not at all. Um, I think if you look at the number of defaults uh, relative to the number of failed banks in the United States over the last few years, China's done pretty well. Uh, I think a default in the market is, is going to make investors research much harder into what they're putting the money into, and that is a healthy sign of the market. And a lot of people say that they're comfortable with it because they, they think that it's nice that the government is allowing some defaults, that it will show people uh, that the government is not going to bail out everybody. But I think a lot of people are also concerned that sometimes these things spin out of control. They get to the point where they're beyond the government's ability to uh, stanch the flow or stem the tide. Yes, I don't think we're anywhere near that at the moment, though. But I think market forces have to prevail in these circumstances. You know, these are not uh, state-owned enterprises or formerly state-owned enterprises. They're not um, major national organizations. They're not the big banks either. I think market forces have to dictate. And clearly, if you put your money into things that you haven't done a lot of research on or are, are really right at the very far edge of risk, you have to expect something to go wrong from time to time. Now, if we could go back to the overall macro picture, uh, because I think a lot of people listening to this program would probably uh, say some of them missed the big gains last year. They may have missed the gains, the 30% rise in the U.S. They may have missed the gains of 100% up for companies uh, here in the new economy in Hong Kong. Then they saw a little bit of weakness in the first quarter of the year and started to think, well, should I get exposed to stocks or should I stay out of it? You know, we hear these reports like the stock market is rigged, the latest claim by Michael Lewis, the high-flying author. Do you think that overall it's a good time for people to start nibbling again? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I don't think they should be pouring all their money in in one go. You, you've heard me say that many, many times. But I think what they should be looking at is whenever there's a, a, a sort of fall in the market, that's a buying opportunity. And, and people really need to understand the dynamics a lot better. You, you don't buy at the top and sell at the bottom, although most people do. Um, and I think you should be trying to find ways in which to uh, drip feed into markets, especially after there's been a piece of weakness. Now, of course, we're none, none of us are clever enough to say when we can call the bottom of a market like we can't call the top of a market. But the key is to be keep regularly putting something in, putting a bit more in, tracking what's happening. If you see the US, for example, down 5% or so from a peak level, then that's a good buying sign. Okay. Um, if you look at the US, because I know last year you were quite keen on the US and you were in the camp that was right, so that's great. Um, something that's a little interesting that has been happening is that the yield curve hasn't really been steepening, which is sort of what the Fed was hoping for that um, you know you'd get uh, that you'd get a little steepening here it means the economy is getting better is that yeah. a concern or is it just because the signals are all kind of phony because of what the fed's doing anyway so don't read too much into it when you see the end of any sort of economic cycle or the start of a new one always you get mixed signals and not necessarily the ones that you expect 
I think there's a lot of money sloshing around in the system anyway. So even with the Fed tapering, easing uh, up quite a bit over the next few months, I doubt very much whether that will, in fact, take too much money out of the system because corporate profits have been rising, people's earnings have been improving, savings are getting better, and investing into markets has been increasing. So I, I doubt very much that we'll see too much on the negative side, for the, certainly for the next few months. All right, stay with us because we'll bring in Steve Wong next. I'm not sure we've got much bling on this program, but we do have a lot of discussion about money. And so we welcome now Steve Wong, the research director at the Reorient Group. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Well, let's talk a little bit about the manufacturing reports. One a little disappointing yesterday, one a little bit encouraging. They tell slightly different stories. One looks at the bigger companies. One looks at the uh, more uh, small and medium-sized firms. So I don't know if people um, really crank through the numbers as much as we do. But um, nice to have you on to help us uh, take a little bit of a step back from it. What does it tell us about what's happening with the mainland economy? Sure. I think the PMI has a... Put, up, put forward a long-awaited 0.1% bounce back in March. Right, that's in I, the one. That's in the official survey. That's an official survey. We usually look at the official a little bit more closely than the, the HSBC one because we think it, it encompasses a bigger part of the economy. But, of course, uh, they have their arguments. But getting back to the topic of what is going on here, I think what you see in the first quarter is not a great picture for the broader economy. January was a very strong start because February was was too aware of the Lunar New Year. So a lot of companies decided to just go on, uh, take it, just dial back on their activities. So January was a good month. February was a bad month. March is looking slightly better, and we're hoping that uh, into the second quarter things will stabilize more. more. More, but overall, the outlook for the whole year is going to be a little bit more misty and a little more uh, challenging than last year. Why? Because I think we are seeing, for example, I'll give you an example. The best way to, is to look at the industrial profits reports from the National Bureau of Statistics. Last year, companies are generating about a 10 to 14 percent top line growth. But this year, uh, it's looking like it's going to be below 10%. So in the first two months of this year, they're looking at about uh, 8 or 9%. But, so that, that shows you that you know, the overall economy is slowing down. Companies are having a little bit more difficult time in, you know, breaking through on the top line. So what they really have to work on is the bottom line. And you know, with the collapsing you know, several commodity markets and the raw material prices, that's helping out the companies a little bit. You know, falling costs, input costs is helping out the margin expansion of companies. And we've seen that a uh, little bit coming through in the first two months of the economy. So I think the really, really important this year is, again, about the reform that we've been really just been beating about. You know, Do you worry at all about these defaults? I just mentioned uh, one a moment ago with Stuart. Uh, mm. You know, we've had two or three now. Sure. Definitely. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about, more about myself. I used to be a credit analyst investing in the high-yield bond market. So actually, uh, I'm very, quite excited to see more defaults coming because that's really the natural way the credit market needs to operate. And I think uh, beginning of this year, I, I, I've, I've told publicly that we expect a firecracker-like uh, defaults. There will be a lot of pops all over this year. But at, at the end of the day, there will be no harm done. Um, so you don't think it signals that something wrong? 
Well, I, I, well, it definitely shows you because it, as the economy slows down, there will be more companies facing difficulty, you know, rolling over their loans. You know, local governments have still very much tried to help out their local businesses, which because they are a source of employment and social stability. And not to forget, you know, local government officials relies on local uh, businesses to provide a track record for their promotion. So it's very much in line to them to help out. But it's definitely, you know, there's, there's more eyes from the international community, from the domestic community, and the netizens all looking at um, government officials that are, are trying to support companies that may have, uh, you know, uh, got away too good in the past. Okay. I, think the, I think the case that you mentioned recently, actually uh, the, the, the Shinran property company, latest uh, scoop that has been coming out of the mainland uh, media is that you know, local government has been somewhat invested in that company. So they're trying to prevent it from falling over. So they're protecting their assets, which, okay. is, which is what we don't want. Your house has been quite positive on the new economy companies. Uh, do you still feel that way, even though just here recently we've had quite a sell-off in the stocks of them? Yeah, I think because definitely the private companies are the one who is showing a lot of strength. I'll give you an example. I think automobile sector has been doing very well. I mean, there's a lot of uh, new ideas going on, What, how to improve that sector. And also, I think the new economy is the way because productivity increase is the only way to get out of uh, this kind of sort of dragging out your feet type of economy growth. All right, hold on, Steve. Um, I might come back to you in just a moment, but we need to take a break now to pay some bills. And also coming up, we've got to look at the region, the best opportunities and the places to avoid with Marcel Tillion, who's a Japan economist at Capital Economics. He'll be joining us on the program along with my colleague, Chris Oliver. That next. The Community Care Fund provides a living subsidy for eligible non-public housing non-CSSA, and low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. All eligible households can submit applications at service units from now until August 29. For details, please visit the fund's website or call 2180-6666. Twenty-five minutes after eight o'clock, and my colleague Chris Oliver joins us here on the program. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Brian. On on Tuesday, the uh, Tenkan survey was released in Japan, uh, and the most noteworthy uh, element of that report was the headline index for large manufacturers rose to sixteen, up from twelve in the prior quarter. Uh, that's the strongest uh, uh, reading since two thousand and seven. Uh, however, the Concern was that the outlook among large manufacturers is actually weakening as they look forward into the next quarter. And the concern is that the higher uh, tax rate that's been introduced from Tuesday is going to erode uh, consumer spending. So I think a lot of big manufacturers are taking into account that consumers won't be spending as much on cars and large outlays and whatnot. So let's go to Marcel Thelion now, Japan economist at Capital Economics. Good morning, Marcel. We've got the inflation expectations uh, coming up this morning. What are you expecting? Uh, inflation expectations? In Japan, yeah. Um, I'm not aware of this 
What do you mean exactly? Well, this is a key report coming out this morning that's uh, tied to the tank can, which is on companies' uh, expectation of inflation. Uh, if you don't really want to comment on that so much, uh, just uh, 30 seconds or so, what was your take on yesterday's report? Um, well, as your colleague mentioned, the, the absolute numbers of the Tankan improved at least uh, last quarter. But it's not so much the, the absolute numbers that, that matter for, for what the Tankan tells us. It's more about the change. And the change has just been very meager. It just edged up by one point, which is uh, almost nothing. And also the, the outlook for the second quarter is just weak. I mean, it's, it's consistent with um, a drop in GDP of around 1%. Now, to be honest, this is uh, pretty much in line with our forecast and in line also with the consensus forecast, more or less. So it's not really surprising that uh, we see uh, the economy weakening uh, after the tax hike. So, Marcel, as the tax news uh, works its way through the economy, what do you expect? Will consumer behavior change? Will people come around to the idea that you know they're just going to have to live with this higher tax? Well, the, the immediate reaction is obviously um, will obviously be. Uh, spending restraint just simply because consumers have brought forward a lot of spending ahead of the tax hike. But obviously you can't restrain spending forever and eventually consumers will have to live with a higher tax. This is also the experience we've seen in, in other countries that, that raised uh, consumer taxes in the past. Your previous uh, outlook for Japan was a bit negative. Now that these things seem to be working their way through the system, What's your outlook for the rest of the year? Will the economy pick up in the third quarter? We think it will. I mean, we have uh, there's another survey by the cabinet office, which contains an outlook for the next two quarters, rather than just one, is in the Tankan, and it uh, tells us that the, the, or the companies are at least expecting uh, the economy to rebound in the third quarter. And also, this is what happened actually in, in 1997 with with uh, just the Asian crisis then interrupting the recovery. But currently, we don't see any any uh, global shock that could, could do the same uh, this time around. And what will you be watching for in terms of structural change or new laws to be introduced that could help lift some of the old economy out of Japan and get things speeded up again? Um, well, there's, there's three things. I mean, the first thing is, is corporate tax cuts. This has been discussed uh, for, for a long time now, and we, we think it will finally happen over the coming year. Um, the second is uh, just more immigration. There's been some limited initiatives so far to ease shortages in the construction sector, but we really want to see a bit more uh, broader uh, debate about this issue. And then uh, third, obviously, the conclusion of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, where Japan will hopefully uh, cut down its, its uh, protective measures in agriculture, which uh, should increase, increase uh, productivity in the sector. And just quickly now, your forecasts for the Nikkei are actually quite bullish. You're looking for 17,000 on the Nikkei at the end of this year, 18,500 by the end of next year. Uh, what does that mean for the yen? The yen will actually continue to weaken. Uh, yeah, we, we do think that the yen will continue to weaken. Uh, we still expect uh, the BOJ to announce more stimulus uh, probably in October, which is, which is actually later than many expect. But um, this should then lead to, to further yen weakness. And since... Japanese corporates derive a lot of their earnings from overseas. 
this should then also boost their profits and then and support the stock market. Okay, Marcel, thank you very much. Uh, out of time, unfortunately. We'll give you more time next time. Uh, thanks for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Uh, and also Chris Oliver uh, here at RTHK. Well, uh, briefly, he was mentioning the Nikkei up in some pretty heady levels there, uh, 17,000 or so, just 14,896 this morning. But a nice gain of more than 100 points. All the markets are higher this morning. Weather today, cloudy with some showers expected. Some thunderstorms still hanging around 22 as the high outlook. Rainy tomorrow, brighter in the next couple of days. And slightly warmer conditions. The news with Samantha Butler. NATO foreign ministers have unanimously agreed a set of measures in response to Russia's annexation of Crimea, including the formal suspension of all practical civilian and military cooperation with Moscow. The BBC's Jonathan Marcus is at the meeting in Brussels. View here at NATO is that the seizure of the Crimea by Russian troops has changed the whole security landscape in Europe. The alliance's secretary-general, Anders Fuhr Rasmussen, described Russia's annexation of Crimea as the gravest threat to European security for a generation. Accordingly, NATO is set to reinforce its defences. In the coming days and weeks, we could see existing operations, like the air patrols over the Baltic countries, reinforced, and in some cases, entirely new deployments to reassure worried allies. 